Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. This is a show that explores individual and interpersonal dynamics, helping you become your best self while making the most of your business and the people in it. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Enjoy the show. In this episode, I'm joined by Ari Levy, founder of Shift. Dr. Ari Levy is in the business of helping people live better. Focused on the intersections of neuroscience, immune physiology, and allostatic load, the wear and tear on the body, his work and research is redefining the way we think about managing and building health and personal well-being. Ari believes that sustainable change to one's health is within reach if the appropriate structure and plan are put in place. Ari earned his undergraduate degree in history and sociology from Emory University and his MD from the University of Illinois College of Medicine and his MBA from the University of Chicago. In this conversation, we get into all things health. We start by defining what it means to be healthy, talking about the different domains of health and the work that Ari's business shift does to blend traditional medical care with other modalities and and disciplines along the health spectrum. We also talk about how to get on the path to create better health that's right for you. We maybe, I'll say, dispel some myths, and we talk about some of the pressures that are there to be in peak physical shape and eat exactly the right thing all the time, and how that's not really sustainable, nor is it what we really should be after. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Without further ado, here is Ari Levy. Ari, welcome to the People Business Podcast. Thanks for having me, man. I'm fascinated by kind of all things health, fitness, nutrition, just you know how we keep ourselves healthy and functioning and happy and feeling good on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis. I'm excited to jump in here. Wanted to start just with what does it mean to be healthy? That's a good question. I think first and foremost, we should probably start with a definition of health. Yeah. So World Health Organization's definition of it is health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmary. So it's not about being not sick, right, or not having disease, but also physical, mental, and social well-being, which for me then begs the, the next question, well, what's well-being, right? Like, what does that mean? And you know, so that typically triggers a question, which is wellness is defined as the quality or state of being healthy in body and mind as a result of deliberate effort. Deliberate effort. That's interesting. What does that mean to you? What does what the deliberate effort part of that mean? It, it means that you have to take a little bit of time, effort, and energy and decide what you want to do, right? That what you pay attention to usually changes and almost often improves. And most of us think that we should care about our health, like our health is super important. And, you know, O'Brien, you, you've got 
you know, two little ones. And, and I know I've got and with my kids. And one of the things I learned is health is remarkably habitual. So if you look at little ones, they're not thinking about how physically active should they be? Are they getting their steps in? Are they eating properly or fueling their bodies? Well, they're trying to figure out life and trying to walk and talk and then learn to read and do all these other things. So health is often modeled for them unless they were unless they had some physical ailment or condition or saw saw somebody very close to them lose their health. So the importance of that for me is, you know, if health is not something we're really sort of programmed or wired to work, you know, worry or think about, it's habit-based. And if health is predicated on your habits, well, that goes back to, you know, the, the definition of health and wellness, which is the quality or state of being healthy in body and mind as a result of deliberate effort. So you have the right inputs to give you the output that you want. And one more question. I want to get into why we're talking about this and what your business is and all that here in a second. But I think this is kind of a fun intro to play with. As we think about health, how healthy is healthy enough? Because the image that we see often is the super fit, the super beautiful, you know, people who have been dieting and cutting for a magazine cover or for a television commercial. And it's like in bodies that are not sustainable, even, even movie stars, right. Who get into incredible shape. I've heard enough sort of behind the scenes interviews to know that like they, to a person, they say, you know, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. We do this for a project and then we go on and we live our lives. So I think there's, there can be this like unhealthy mental belief that like, you gotta be more healthy in some way. And so Totally. How healthy is healthy enough? Like, how do you think about that? <laughs> it's a fantastic question. I think, first of all, I don't like the answer to the question because the answer to the question is not black or white. There's a gray in there. And what do I mean by that? Well, you know, the data and evidence really suggests that health and fitness generally run parallel paths. When you're really unhealthy, the more the fitter you become, the healthier you become. But what ends up happening is that you bifurcate at a certain level of fitness. And then it becomes unhealthy to be more fit. Does that make sense? Sure. So there's actually higher risks of death in folks who are elite athletes in endurance sports and in in other sports. And, And the reason for that is that the effort placed to being your best or the best, right, at a certain thing comes at the trade of time, effort, and energy. You're putting in a lot of time. You're putting in a ton of hours. And you're not necessarily giving your body and your mind the time it needs to repair and recover. So one of the things that the body likes to be is in a homeostatic state. So to your point, you can be too, there's such a thing as being too fit, right? Or focusing too much on any of these domains, which actually creates an imbalance in your health. Interesting. Yeah, I guess I hadn't even thought about being too fit as a risk a mortality risk. Yeah. So one of the things that I find psychologically, personally, really hard is I grew up as an athlete. I like to consider myself, I guess, like an aging athlete. Um, you know, I, I love the competition and, and trying and going after things, but the system doesn't work the same as it did when it was 15, 25 or 35. It's not supposed to. There are moments when it can, but what we fail quite often to talk about is repair and recovery not just from the physiologic perspective, but also from the cognitive or mental health perspective. So if you 
ever study Hall of Famers in not just sports, but uh, you know whether it's sports, business, or life, all of the greats understand and are experts in the off windows. You know, they become very disciplined early in their life, building the skill and the craft to do certain things repeatedly over. So they, they get the right skills and then they know that they can't show up with the same level of intensity and energy over time. And so they pick their moments that matter most. You know, in our sort of our vernacular, we call that wisdom. My parents always tell me, you know, there's stuff that you just don't need to get so stressed about, right? It, it really, like, you don't sweat the small stuff, it doesn't really matter. And those things tend to be so very true. Interesting. All right. So I'm going to hit time out on that conversation because I feel like we're, I feel like I'm on the edge and like, we're just going to plunge down that hill here when we start. So I'm going to pause for a second. I want to talk about shift and could you just talk about what your business is, what, what shift is, what you do and sort of how it's built. I think that'll frame up the rest of the conversation. For sure. So shift is an integrated medical practice. So the first location is here in Chicago where we have a group of physicians, dietitians, trained staff, physical therapists, massage folks, whose job it is, is to help assess who you are and where you're at from a medical health and habits perspective. And then we care and connect you to the folks that you need to make sure that we're helping you not only as your internist, but as your total health, from a total health perspective. So our team, in essence, right? effectively becomes your EVP of health and everybody below him or her to take care of you. And where did that idea for the business come from? Like most doctor's offices are not set up that way. So how did you come up with the mixture that you have in your practice? Well, you're going to have to be entertained by a little bit of a story. So I was sick as a kid and I had what was called minimal change nephrotic syndrome. So I was somebody who was on chronic steroids, was really not in great control of my health, but I had to pay attention to a lot of details. I had to weigh myself. You know, I had to check my urine to see if I was spilling protein on a daily basis. I had to take daily meds. I had to do all these things. And I was diagnosed with this at age four. And I remember going to see a doctor when I was eight. He's a pediatric nephrologist, this specialist my parents found. Went into the exam room with him. He examined me and then told me I could leave the room so he could talk to my mother about my care. And I said, no, nah, I'm going to stay. He said, no, you're going to go. We did this back and forth. I stayed. And when we left the office, my mom grabbed my hand and she said to me, you never have to go back and see somebody who's not going to put you at the center of the decision and help you focus on it. And so for me, my mom and I have since talked about it. It was massive advocacy there. So the first moment was advocacy. And, you know, from that point on, I said I wanted to be a doctor. What I didn't realize is that I really love caring for people. And so Shift was born there for sure. But how we put all these things together, when I was a senior in college, I first started writing about the ideas. I and mean, I know you know one of my brothers, and he got an email from me uh, that was a bulleted email about how I wanted to build what was called proactive health at the time. And that was almost 20 years ago, man. And I've spent, I think, a lot of my time developing the skills in the various areas of our business to understand it, to be able to try and, and build this. So that's probably a long-winded answer for you. That's a fantastic story. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, yes, I do know your brother and he was actually the first guest on this podcast. So shout out to Aaron, which is funny because that's not how we met. 
we met through another friend, Jim. So shout out to Jim as well. It was funny when I pulled up your picture, I was like, that guy looks similar. I was like, there's got to be the last name, similar appearance. Yep. So shout out to those two guys. So what are you looking for when a patient walks in the door? Like, what is the assessment like to sort of figure out how they stack up when it comes to, you said it was medical, did you say medical health and habits? Correct. It's a great question. So first and foremost, you know, the technical elements of measuring where you're at mentally and physically are pretty straightforward. You know, so it's it's running through a, a gamut of tests, blood, urine, vision. We do a DEXA for body comp, bone density, and then visceral adipose tissue. And, and visceral adipose tissue is where your fat is stored. So, you know, as a side tangent, not all fat is created and stored equally. So having it in certain places denotes more risk than others. So we'll do that. And then we, we want to see how you move and how you feel this body. So we ask a lot of questions about that. We do some inventory, we watch how you move in certain domains. We do a VO2 max for heart and lung function. And then you meet with a bunch of people. You meet with a dietitian, a trainer, a physical therapist, a physician twice. And in those meetings, one of the things that we're doing aside from gathering the facts is we're also gathering the context. Who is the human that we're caring for and what's happening within the, the environment around them, their, aka their life? And so what we then look for, right, is if we think of what we do in the initial assessment as almost a SWOT analysis, right, we're understanding who you are, where you're at, and you're telling us where you want to be right? What's your vision of you? And we're saying, based on the inputs and based on what we see, is this a congruent line? Is this going to, are these dots going to connect or not? And if not, you know, what are the liabilities that we see and what are the things we need to do to address it? And what types of people are coming to you and why, why do they show up at your office? What are they trying to achieve? And, you know, kind of who are they? Yeah. So, you know, we serve individuals and we serve corporations. So, we get some folks who are coming because it's a benefit that their company provides them. And then, you know, for the direct consumer marketplace, you know, we have people who I say first and foremost have a compelling emotional reason to care about their health. So it's the psychographic profile much more than the demographic one that, that matters to us. So we have people that have something going on. Either they feel very vulnerable, they know they have a medical issue. They've had bad healthcare experience, meaning they're stuck in the system and they're not getting what we call the physician match that they need because the system is very transactional. So you get set amounts of time and isolated conversations. Very rarely is it interwoven. And we get people all ranges, all walks of life. You know, our youngest is 18 and our oldest is 87. So we take care of a full spectrum of people. It's not simply the worried well or you know, the aging athlete that's looking to sort of stay on top. It's, it's people who want really solid care and are willing to do the work around building their health. And what do you see as the most common issues or ailments? Or is it, I mean, you said that the types of people that walk in are, are broad and varied. Are the issues that you see broad and varied or are there maybe even just some buckets that issues fall into that are sort of chronic across the population these days? Yeah, I think the biggest one is that we have this notion that we're supposed to build our health on our own. I'm supposed to build my fitness plan or take on this diet or do that. Like th that's my job to do. 
in very few other places in life, do we ever do things by ourselves, right? I mean, we may have to do the work, but having the right support and accountability, having that feedback loop in place so you can make it easy for you to do is super important. So we see most people really trying to go at it by themselves. And we think that that's a flawed approach because it just makes it a really heavy lift. And quite frankly, like our minds are very poor remembering tools that are able to process back objectively how you've done. Yeah. yeah the other thing that strikes me from what you've said is that health is habitual. And so I just think about where I'm able to be healthy and where I need improvement in my own life. And the places where I've created good habits are the places that, lo and behold, I'm fairly healthy and are are easy for me. The places where I don't have great habits are the places that I struggle with. And to change our habits on our own is a very difficult thing. Very difficult thing. So let's unpack that a little bit, if you don't mind. How does your practice coach people in habit formation? So, you know, if we're working with them, you know, on this stuff, you know, we give everybody the option, right? Like it's not as though everybody wants that. So we start with medical care. But if we're doing that, what ends up happening is we set, we have a a goals conversation. So after we've initially assessed you, we set a goals conversation in place where we're going to outline the key objectives that we're going to tackle and over what period of time. So you can sort of say, yes, we set smart objectives or smart goals based on what their key risks are and the relative context. So we think about giving people and the right resources, information, and feedback loop that they need to build sustainability. So we think about where are you going to fail, right? And when are you going to stumble? Not if you're going to stumble, but when you're going to stumble. So if we can have that anticipatory mindset, then what that allows us to do meaningfully is shorten the windows that you stumble, which increase the amount of time that you're succeeding. Right? Most people focus on just how do I get myself to be in that success rhythm? And quite honestly, once you get into that rhythm, as long as you've got the right parameters, it's actually really easy. People get to automatic really quickly, but it's the hurdles. It's the stumbling blocks that have them fall off and then they don't get back on for another four or five months. And do you find that the people who come to you, like they're already intrinsically motivated and committed to do this? Or do you see the same fear and hesitancy that is out there in the general population? We see the same as the general population. You know, the place where I think we're distinctive is, you know, the, the most important thing we can do in the first day we're with you, aside from the technical and tactical medical stuff, is establish trust and rapport. You know, because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And we see that to be so very true. So if we're able to show up for you, it increases the likelihood of understanding the information, remembering the information, and then, oh, by the way, applying it. And so for us, it's about making sure that people really, we talk less about motivation and more about making it easy, right? Understanding what you need to do, creating the right setups for that. And if it doesn't happen, like there's not a lot of drama to it, right? We, we just we start over and we try and scaffold the learning and scaffold the success. What role do you think motivation plays when it comes to these types of goals? Motivation is a catalyst, right? That's it. It is a catalyst and it dissipates over time unless you have, you know, reignited catalysts that get put in place. So it's a helpful tool. I think it's highly overrated 
as compared to other structural elements that can be put in place to make it easy for you to do, do certain things. Yeah, that's a conversation I've been having more and more just regarding my performance, our company's performance, that kind of thing. Like it's really easy to be motivated at the beginning. It's really easy to be motivated in the air conditioning on the couch. (laughs) It's much harder to be motivated when you're in the grind of whatever the thing is. You know, you're on day 10 and the shine is worn off and you got to keep going. And so, yeah, to, to have it be as easy as possible to have a support system like you're talking about, have some guides to help get you back on track when you do fail. Like that's the stuff that helps you with consistency, right? Not endless motivation. It's the persistence, man, that matters most, right? We talk about this quote all the time. You know, you don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. But I think that's so true. You know, when you're in the grind, it's hard, right? Sometimes you want to come up for air. Sometimes you want to go to bed. Sometimes you just want to say, F it. I just need a moment, right? All of which is natural and normal and sometimes is necessary. But oftentimes it's like, all right, take the break and get back in. So I've heard we fall to the level of our training. You said we fall to the level of our systems. I I like that too. What would an example of a healthy system look like that you guys would help? somebody put in place? Like what's an example of maybe a broken system and then how you'd be able to help put a healthy system in place to create a better outcome. Do you have an example? Yep. So let's take a very common one around weight loss, right? And exercise and nutrition. So a very common pattern is I want to lose weight and I'm going to exercise more and I'm going to pick said diet and I'm going to stick to it weight gets lost, right? No doubt there's some structure and some rhythm. And we can say said system here is intermittent fasting, okay? So you're intermittent fasting and you're exercising five or six days a week. And the exercise you're doing is Peloton, you know, five days a week. And uh, you went from zero to five and, you know, you're now doing this intermittent fasting. So you're eating from, let's say, 11 to, or let's call it 10 to six, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., your body is absolutely going to change, right? You're going to make that progress and you're going to quote unquote lose that weight. However, the real questions here that the systems, right, that need to be put in place is are, are you getting the sleep you need? Are you doing the right modalities of fitness with what frequency? What is the level of effort and expenditure in each one? So are you depleting the total system or are you actually building it up? And are you actually changing any of the composition, your body structure in that weight loss? Because it's actually not about losing weight. It's about the composition and where you're storing that fat. That's most important from a risk standpoint. Interesting. And so like, what would some examples be of ways that you would change the fat composition versus just like working out on the Peloton five days a week? Yeah. So you want to make sure that you're doing some functional strength, that you're doing some tissue pliability and repair, that you're also getting some aerobic endurance and then some anaerobic fitness training, right? So getting some of these different modalities in, all of which can be done. They don't require a separate gym membership or anything like that. And you want to make sure that you understand what you're doing when you're intermittent fasting, right? So we use these things. It's hard to eat a lot in the middle of a workday for many folks because we have a lot of things going on. And it's also much harder to eat a lot worse at the end of the day 
because your stomach begins to shrink because you haven't had a lot of food over a period of time. So the structure there, right, sort of works. But what we think about are what are the inputs of food with what frequency to nourish the system, not to deprive it or deplete it, because you want to be in a harmonious balance there. So you mentioned those four things. I'm going to try to remember. I didn't get them all, but I'm going to try to remember them because I just, there's some terms in there that I want to make sure we kind of get to layman's terms for. So functional movement, first of all, like what types of movements would be functional movements that people want to be doing on a regular basis? Yeah. So things you do in life. So squatting from the, getting from, going from the ground up, right. Learning to jump, move, you know, side to side. So we call them different planes, right. You're not just walking or riding back and forth in a single modality fixed movement, right. This body is nimble, if you will. So those are, that's functional. Uh, when we talk about aerobic, right, you're talking about doing something where you begin to get your heart rate up to a certain level where every third to fifth word, you have to take a breath. So it's a non-conversational workout that's going to last you anywhere from 45 to 90 minutes consistently because that burns slightly different fat stores from an aerobic endurance perspective. Then when you think about anaerobic or sometimes what gets referred to as high-intensity interval training, that kind of high-explosive, high-heart-rate, short window of time trains and signals the body a little differently. So what you're trying to do is give yourself all of these different domains that you learn how to do. So we sometimes call it building different asset classes. So you have this breadth of activity that you can do over time that's building your total fitness or your total health. And what about pliability and tissue work that you were talking about? Yeah. So that we think is super important and under discussed. So thankfully to folks like Tom Brady, you know, we've got athletes out there who are now talking about this, but what's often actually not talked about enough is intramuscular scar tissue formation. So said a different way, in order to build up muscle, you break it down, right? So you break down muscle fiber and then it builds up and they weave together tighter. Collagen is part of the bonding formation that allows the tissue to bond tighter over time. Collagen is also the stuff that that gets really tight. It's like an impliable tissue. So over time, as you build more and more collagen within the within the muscles, actually form scar tissue formation, which means you have muscle that you can't necessarily activate. If you think about us as trees, what ends up happening over time is you lose your flexibility, you lose your pliability, you become much more rigid. So as we build muscles, we build strength, as we age, you really want to make sure that you keep this tissue loose. It allows for greater functional strength. And is that getting a massage on a regular basis? Is it foam rolling? Like, What's the actual action look like that people should be thinking about? Fantastic. I mean, the action looks, comes in the course of massage, Deep tissue work, which is, can be from a theragon, a foam roller, a lacrosse ball, you know, there it just you can do some really active stretching. So it is just ways in which to allow that tissue to relax. And it, what's also critically important in that is, and we haven't talked about, is sleep, right? So you can't do all this on two hours of sleep. This guy Matthew Walker, he's probably one of the leading experts on sleep. Uh, he's got the TED talks that are out there. His work is really seminal and, you know, I don't need to repurpose what he says, but, you know, sleep is sort of a superpower. And if you don't get it, you're going to deplete yourself in all areas. And how much sleep should people be targeting? Because that's always a point of conversation. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's a white quick whiteboard conversation. But general, so the general answer is going to be somewhere between six to nine hours or seven and a half to nine hours. And that has to do with the number of sleep cycles you get and the duration of each sleep cycle. So uh, generally speaking, you want to have somewhere between four to five sleep cycles. And sleep cycles can average around 90 to 120 minutes. So the, the simplest answer for you is it's actually a bell curve of where the vast majority of people fall. And seven and a half is right in the middle. And the mean is, so it's nine and six. And then standard deviations away from that are four and a half and three and 10 and a half and 12. So you can get a sense of, you know, why that range is six to nine and why seven and a half is what's recommended. It's just based on sleep studies and sleep cycles that we've seen. Interesting. Yeah. I had always thought about it as 90 minutes. So I didn't, I guess I didn't even realize that it flowed up to 120 minutes. And I guess that's where you have people who say they need a lot of sleep could be because they have a long REM cycle. And therefore, if you're going to get four REM cycles compared to somebody who's got a 90 minute REM cycle, your body just needs more sleep because it's cycling slower. Is that? Yes, it can also go down. So it's 90 to 120. 90 tends to be the average. We say it's actually like it's 60 to 120, which is a hard range to be in, which is why they just narrow it 90 to 120. But um, there are people who are less and it's less about the REM cycles and more about the delta cycles, getting your deep sleep. So that's your non-REM sleep. Just for your own yeah. peace of mind, the non-REM or the delta sleep is the most important stuff. That's the one that when you wake up, you don't know where you are, what's happened, takes you 30 minutes to like exactly feel like a human being again that's waking up at a delta. That's exactly right. Yep. That's the worst feeling in the morning and really the whole day. I mean, you could feel that the whole day when, when you wake up out of yeah. a Delta cycle. That's right. So appreciate diving into what these are, how people work on them. Why should we care? Well, are you familiar with the term epigenetics? Familiar with the word. I wouldn't say I'm familiar with the term. So would love for you to define it. Yeah. So epigenetics, simply put, means we have the ability to control our genetic expression of the genes for cancer, heart disease, diabetes, which is super powerful and super cool and really scary. And so said another way, your habits matter. Your habits matter in terms of the quality of the years you have, as well as the quantity. So if I'm in control of how this thing works, how much time I get, you know, and how I don't want to use the word productive, but how I get to enjoy that time. I want to do my my very best to make sure that this tool is cared for appropriately so I can enjoy everything else in my life. So that's essentially saying that the habits that we have either turn on or turn off various genes in our body. And so that's where like I've heard people say or, or read studies that you know, certain diets suppress cancer versus certain diets inflame cancer because you're actually changing what you call the gene expression, what genes turn on and off in your body. Is that what you're saying Mm -hmm. essentially? Mm -hmm. So if everybody has this, this type of control, you know, a big question that comes up is for me, at least is like, how long does this take? Because this sounds great. 
right? Like everything that you mentioned, like I would love to be fit in all the different domains. I would love to be pliable and I would love to have a really clean diet and have the structure that works and, and all of that. But I also have a job and I've got a family and I've got all these things going on and it's hard to balance. And, you know, like life gets in the way of a lot of this stuff. And so first question is like, how long should people be setting aside to address these things? Well, I think it, that begs a much different question, which is like, what's important to you, right? And as we you know, sort of go back in a circular way, like health is habitual, right? It's not, health doesn't, it's not meant, it's maybe intellectually or philosophically important, but like technically, generally speaking, unless something's going on, you're not thinking about your health. I mean, the way the body is built is that it's it's built with such capacity that we can be very reactive, right? You're not going to go see a doctor right now unless you can't breathe, right? Or you couldn't walk or something really, you know, significant was happening. So, you know, I say that because if we think about the principles for longevity, so it is purposeful movement, eating wisely, right attitude, right tribe. Okay. There's sub bullets around that and we can talk about that. All of the work that we focus on from a medical standpoint, and we talk about in regards to shift, really center around those themes. And exercise doesn't have to be in the form of a Peloton. It can be in the form of playing with your kids, running around with them, hanging out, gardening, doing productive homework. That counts as purposeful movement. It doesn't have to be on a treadmill you know, with that denoted sort of isolated siloed time. You said mentality there, your, your mental state, you know, having the outlook matters. And that's something I have, we haven't really talked about much here either. But can, can you talk to the importance that your mindset has on everything else that we've been talking about? Well, so if we go back to the definition, right? I mean, health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, right? So think about that for a second. Health right, is a, is a matter not just of what's going on with us physically, but how we are between our ears and then how we are, you know, to the community around us. So those are really important aspects as well. And in fact, if you, you know, there are some in- infographics and happy to share, you know, and follow up about social determinants of health, right, or, or the, you know, the multifactorial elements that help us live longer or shorter and you know, sort of more what we'll call engaged lives, the medical elements of it are around 10 to 15% of it. All the other genetics, biology, your environment, your social connectedness, all those things matter a lot more than the medical stuff. So it's super important to know the company you keep and also know how this thing works. How do you, I don't think I heard you say that you have psychologists on staff. Was that right? Or did I miss that? You're correct. We do not. So addressing the mental side of this game, you know, how, how do you do that within your practice? And what are the, or I'll just ask, how do you do that within your practice? Yeah. I mean, that's, um, it's part of what we're trained to do. So our, our folks, one of the things that's a point of distinction is our approach to who you are. We do a bunch of psychometric profiling of you as a human when you come in. I mean, you, you're answering a bunch of questions about your goals, your needs, your wants, adverse events in your life, sources of stress. And then in the, you know, in the intakes with each person, we're going through a lot of those elements so that we understand what we're up against 
together, right? And then sometimes we need therapists, sometimes we need other coaches, sometimes, you know, it's just books and material, other times it's conversations with us, but we're uh, aptly prepared that way. And and so do you then refer out to other psychologists or? For sure. For sure. We'll refer out to psychologists for when that's needed. A lot of stuff is actually, there's a lot of work that we can do on our own that gets us, or I shouldn't say simply on your own, but with others, it gets you very far. So sometimes it just takes a book. Sometimes it takes a conversation. Sometimes it takes just an awareness that, wow, this is a really important thing. And so the last piece is the company you keep, your tribe, social. You mentioned social determinants of health, which we're, we talk about that in my work. So the work I do is helping companies with their total rewards programs. And a, probably the biggest chunk of that is their health insurance that, that a company will offer their employees. And we are more and more using social determinant of health information to look at different populations within a company. But it's a very new term for a lot of people. Can you talk to what social determinants of health are and why that matters when it comes to choosing a tribe? Yeah. I mean, the social determinants are your individual behaviors, your own personal genetics and biology, your social circumstances, your medical care, and then your environment slash physical exposures. So those are the, the the broad domains. And then with each one within each one of them, right, there are some there are we'll call 50 to 100 subcategories within there to help evaluate those broad categories. But you know, the, these are the elements that make us up, right? Like we're not simply made up of like the disease stuff, but all these other inputs, you know, really matter. Yeah. The scary statistic for me was that the single biggest factor when it comes to your health is your zip code. Yeah. I saw the study that, you know, and you look at populations by zip code and you can make some pretty accurate predictions on health and disease states and comorbidities and that kind of stuff. Sure. I mean, look, there's the there's what we'll call right the determinant categories, then there are the macro determinants, the micro determinants, and then the metrics. And so zip code really just means that we are the company we keep, right? And we are tribal still in origin. We see this all around the world. And so the zip code stuff doesn't surprise me per se. You know, what's more important is how do we approach understanding what are the elements that people not just that they need, but that they're willing to, you know, use to help improve their own determinants. And then I want to switch a little bit as we get to the end of this here and talk a little bit about you too, because, you know, one of the things that you talked about in why people come to you is that, you know, they've, they've got some goals, or at least that's a conversation that you're having with the people who come to you is, Hey, you're here. Where do you want to go? How do we help you get there? Before this, we were chatting a little bit and you, I think you were trying to give me one Easter egg and you gave me another, which you said, oh, let me look at my content aggregator here. And you said, you know, it's got your goals and and a bunch of other things that are in there. How do you plan for yourself where you want to go? What are the exercises? What does it look like when you sit down and figure out how you want to build your own life? Yeah, it's an awesome question. First of all, I think, you know, I've been lucky to have great people around me. And so for, for all those who've been around me, 
I'm hyper and fast moving and like very much moving quickly. Being able to have patience and wisdom has been, that's my growth edge that I'm always trying to focus on. I haven't been able to do it. I've just asked for a lot of support, man. I have a coach myself. I have loved ones who I lean on, which are not just family, but friends as well. I also try not to take myself too seriously. You know, generally don't believe the hype, both the positive press and the negative press. Just like we're just humans, man, trying to figure this stuff out and uh, make the time that we're here really worth it. How have you gotten clear on what is important to you and how you want to take care of your own body? I spend time on it. You know, I have metrics that I measure and inputs that I look at. You know, I also feel somewhat responsible as a person who's going out into the world, talking to people about how to get this done, to walk the talk. I was taught that your word is your bond. And so, you know, one of the one of the most important things for me is to hopefully do my very best to live what I'm preaching and believing as well. And so I set goals, I share them, I'm ambitious, and I stumble all the time, right? So I'm always trying to learn from them and grow from them. Because I think that's the thing, man, is like, if you're fixed and stuck, then you know, you're, you should, you're not progressing. And for me, it's not about being the best. It's just about giving my best. Um, and I think that that distinction really matters because time is the currency we're dealing with. I don't want my time here is done. And I just want to have, you know, I want to know I've sort of left it on the playing field, if you will. How do you think about being your best be- versus being the best? Because that's something I think about too. And I feel like there's a lot of pressure to be the best. I feel like we glorify the people who are the best so often that it creates this image that if you're not the best, you know, that it's binary, that there's one winner and everybody else is a loser. And I mean, that might be a little bit extreme, but it does feel that way sometimes. And I know I can sort of fall victim to feeling that way. And you hear a lot about like, you know, it's not about being in competition with everybody else. It's about beating yourself from yesterday. And it's about being the best version of yourself. Like there's a lot of versions of this. How do you process that in your own life? And like, how have you sort of, how have you wake up at three thirty AM? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I tell everybody this as well. Like, you know, sleep is super important and the mind is also a, a wildly powerful tool. So Learning to not only control the physical states, but the mental ones are super important. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, that was that was it. I mean, how do you sort of process those two and, and come to a place where you feel good about just going out and putting out your best effort? Well, I know that we're imperfect and flawed. I know that I am at least. And so for me, it's about effort. And not every day is going to be a great day. And so I try and pay attention to a few key things. I, I I journal a little bit in terms of like, what am I grateful for? What insights were there? And I'm a conversationalist. So the people that are close to me in my life know that I, I sort of, I share. The more I keep it in, in between my ears, the worse it is. The more often I can let it out, I can process it and get to the other side better. And, you know, I, I have this quote, I think on my board here yet, yeah, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. That's a great one. That's just, that's, that's a truism for me, you know, because when I look out there, like, I'll tell you, I'm not doing enough. There are so many other people I know who have built bigger businesses, better businesses, faster, like, you know, and that is what our, that is what our world promotes. 
you know, it sells very well. Being steadfast and just being who I am is the more I can sit with that, the the better off I am. Yeah. I find that I'd struggle with that myself. And I find that being an ambitious person maybe even makes it a little bit more difficult because you are comparing a lot and you're looking out at other ambitious people. And it's always easy to find somebody who's being more ambitious or maybe not even more ambitious, but ambitious in a different way that feels like more ambitious because you're not ambitious in that way. And I find the more I can sort of sit with what my goals are, the better life gets. But when I pick my head up and, you know, look around a little bit, it's easy to get sucked into that. And so I appreciate you answering that question because it's something that's been on my mind over the last couple of months that I've been kind of wrestling with too. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, I tell everybody this, I mean, it doesn't mean that you don't like, doesn't mean that you're not disciplined or hardworking or, you know, ambition can, can be a, a really good thing as well. You know, it's just, it's the sword cuts both ways. So it's making sure that, you know, it's serving, it's serving you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a misconception too, that if you're not trying to be the best and doing as much as you possibly can, that you somehow are like losing your edge or you're not ambitious, but you can be incredibly ambitious and just focused on the things that are important to you. For sure. When it comes to everything we've been talking about today, what are you sick of talking about? <laughs> God, that's a good question. I'm kind of sick about talking about the terms relative to like diet and nutrition. I think it's just a big mis like you got to learn to fuel your body and know relatively like what the percentage and proportions are that you, if you want to make change, you know, or you want to keep stable, they need to be at. And then from a, an exercise perspective, it's not better, faster, stronger, doing more with less time. It's not the three hour sleep week, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's about like understanding, which is different, you know, for, because it's a health perspective. It's about understanding what your body needs as well as having the right push to grow and accomplish the things you want and recognizing that no two journeys are the same. What are you most excited to be talking about these days? Metabolizing stress. So, you know, most people talk about how they have to minimize it and we don't think you minimize it. We think you metabolize it. So you learn how to break it down through physical intimacy, social intimacy, and physical activity. And, you know, physical intimacy is touch. So 20 to 30 seconds of touch with somebody that you feel safe, secure, and trusted with. Social intimacy is the same. For a very specific example there, if you think about what do we do when we mourn, when we lose somebody, we hug, we hold, we embrace, and we come together to help those who are mourning loss. And there's true physiology there. It reduces what we call allostatic load, aka stress. It blunts the cortisol response, which is a stress surging hormone with oxytocin. And then exercise, what's really important with exercise is understanding whether you need mild to moderate physical activity, which is that helps you dissipate stress versus the high intensity stuff requires physiologic recovery as well from that. So it's not always about like going after a, um, a super aggressive, hard workout. Sometimes it's a good walk or a jog or meditation that can allow you to state switch, if you will, and metabolize that stress. Last question. And I know we haven't really talked about business, but I think it's important to talk about the individuals and, and a lot of in the show, we talk about business and 
your health has a big impact on how you perform in all aspects of your life. So in your mind, this is a question I ask a lot of people at the end, in your mind, what is the purpose of business? What is the purpose of business? Wow. Social collaboration and connectedness. I think business is a way in which we spend our time to work on hopefully joint collaborative efforts, you know, to accomplish shared goals. All right. I'm going to add one more to this one. Do you believe there's a meaning to life or, <laughs> or how do we find meaning in life? You know, you, we talked, Oh my goodness. We talked a lot about, and I know that that's a charge question and a little sort of, I say it kind of tongue in cheek, but you talk about the connectedness of, of business and coming together. You talk about a lot when you talk about the importance of health, about like making the most of this life. Do you have any thoughts or philosophies on the point of this whole thing? Oh, that's such a hard question from a philosophical standpoint. You know, I just, I do and I don't, right? I mean, it's, it's sort of, I think sometimes it depends on the day. I'm just pulling up this thing that's about like sort of knowing what your purpose is and just living it, you know, the best you can. It doesn't mean your purpose is fixed. We are dynamic and we are changing and, you know, be clear about it. I mean, for me, look, my life begins at home with my family, my loved ones, my friends. You know, I want to use my resources to create a secure environment that fosters love, learning and laughter. And I really protect and value integrity. Those That's really, really important to me. And I will admit, I put in here quickly. I think sometimes it's not as fast as others might like my mistakes. And, you know, I want to do my best to be a self-starter who's a caring person um, and is willing to listen and be open-minded. Those are a lot of things, right? But that's what I want to do. Because when I'm doing that, I feel better. And I know that might sound a little selfish, but like when I feel good, I feel like I'm contributing to the world in a positive way. And like, I don't know. Where our time's done, aren't we supposed to do something of hopefully of some positive value? Yeah, I believe so. And I believe I'm with you in believing that we can do something of positive value for the greater good while doing something of positive value for ourselves as well. And I think actually it's best when they align because I think it becomes sustainable. And I think that's where you get the most, they're the biggest catalyst. You know, the, the biggest opportunity is when it lights you up and it lights the world up. So. Thank totally. you for uh, for humoring me with answering that question. I know I caught you off guard with that one. Yeah, that was a difficult one, man. <laughs> Got to throw a couple hard curveballs in there. All right, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you coming on. Where can people find more about you or about Shift or potentially take you up on some of these services you talked about? Yeah, shiftlife.com. So that's www.shif. T-L-I-F-E.com. It's an important F. Uh, yeah, make sure that that F is in there. You know, I, I did try and buy shiftlife.com. It was taken. <laughs> but no, all humor aside, uh, shiftlife.com. Uh, you can find more information about us. And we're open here, happy to help serve in any way you, you need. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you uh, helping the community through this podcast and hope some people will check you out and uh, really enjoy the conversation. Thank you very much, man. Appreciate it. Hey, folks, one last thing before you go. 
If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Thanks for coming. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.